All right, welcome back to Vox Vax Podcast, and today is very, very special. Um, today we have Dr. Jacobs and Dr. Sadia, and of course, it's Daya Brown, your editor for Vox Vax. And Dr. Jacobs, but Vox ATL has been told that she is a powerhouse and delivers information in real, down-to-earth and relatable way. She is fun, and not only does she know COVID-19, but she's also excellent at addressing teen issues from both the perspective of the teen and the parents. Additionally, we have Dr. Sadia, who is a clinic director for the Vaccine Trial Unit at Morehouse School of Medicine. Thank you guys so much for being here, and let's go ahead and say something to our audience. All right, I'm Dr. Teresa Jacobs, and uh, thank you, Daya, for having us on today. This is an exciting topic. It's an exciting time. I'd love to hear the team's questions on COVID and any other pertinent issues of today. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, I'm glad to be here on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Um, This is Dr. Sadia Khidr. I'm the clinic clinic director at the Vaccine Trial Unit at Mohawk School of Medicine. And we have been working on COVID-19 vaccines. We have current trials ongoing, and we also have community engagement efforts over here in order to not only involve the adults, uh, but also youth and teens in our clinical trials and to address any vaccine hesitancy questions. So excited to be on here. Yes, yes. I'm so, so excited that y'all are here. This is going to be a deep, great conversation. Um, and of course, we have a few questions, both from the Vox community and as well as from me. Um, so we're going to go ahead and start it off simple. So how does the vaccine work and how will it work over time? I can take that one. Uh, if we're talking about the messenger RNAs uh, vaccines, that's the Pfizer and Moderna uh, basically, it's packaged up, uh, some messenger RNAs is packaged up in a vaccine uh, that when it enters the body, it tells the body basically to make proteins and to make antibodies against COVID-19. And so those antibodies start to circulate throughout the body. And so if you're exposed to COVID, the virus itself, uh, those antibodies will come out, attack it, and uh possibly, hopefully, in most cases, uh, get it to the point where you don't get infected. If you do get infected, the vast majority of those folks do not have a severe disease where they're hospitalized or they could possibly die. That doesn't generally happen uh, with those messenger RNA vaccines. So those antibodies are there uh, for those messenger RNAs. uh, There's two vaccines that you'll get uh, roughly a month apart. And then in six months, uh, they're advising all of us to get that booster so that we can get a, um, a re-boost uh, of antibodies in our system to help protect us against COVID. Thank you so, so much for that. Um, I know, like, especially with this new variant that's coming out, a lot of people do not know. And majority, um, based off statistics, majority of the citizens in the United States, you know, they're vaccinated, um, they're, they're vaccinated in, you know, other countries. Um, but looking specifically at, you know, especially with this new variant coming, um, Dr. Sadia, how, how will it look a few months from now? Uh, will I need a booster? Do I, you know, wh- where, where are we going with this? The first thing is that this, we're still in pandemic, right? We are not over it in any former sense as yet. We, uh, it's good that we have more vaccinated people at this time, but uh, compared, but we still are overall at 
at a lower level than we should be, even if we just talk about Georgia, not even the whole United States. Um, so should you get a booster or not get a booster? Uh, uh, I, would, I would just, I would say yes. Uh, everyone who has had almost six months since their last, since their second dose should get a booster. Uh, it is imperative and it is important, especially with all these new variants coming on, Delta, Omicron, and uh, I don't know if you guys understand that why there are variants. It, the variants happen when there are a lot of vaccinated people interacting with each other and the virus gets a hold, uh, gets a hold of these people and it just putting it in as much latent as possible. So it finds more hosts and then it mutates and it becomes a new virus, right? Not necessarily a very threatening one or not necessarily a bad one, but it can, it can be, it can go either way. It can be very transmissible. It can be a lot more dangerous. It can be less dangerous, but we do not know and we cannot predict that. So getting the booster, um, if you have gotten the second dose, it's been six months since you got your second dose, you should get a booster. That is what I am saying at this point. That is what our studies are showing at this point. That the uh, over, over, like Dr. Jacobs explained, that it's there are antibodies that become in your body once you get the vaccine. So as time goes by, the level of the antibodies go down. It's kind of think of it like flu vaccine, right? You get the flu shot every year. So for this one, since this, everything is so new, we are still in pandemic. So I would highly suggest getting a booster. And CDC is also saying that there are CDC direct links where you can go and they can actually tell you which boosters you should be getting, when you should be getting them, and um, how important it is to get them. Thank you so much for that insight. Honestly, I think in terms of, you know, with the whole variant situation, you have taught me so much about, um, you know, how, you know, multiple variants are produced. And so looking at it and looking at the vaccines and having the boosters, um, I believe this is a question for both of you. What is the vaccine's impact on the reproductive health? Because I know for many, um, their concerns are, you know, how would this affect my health? You know, if you have a certain disease, will that will the uh, vaccine affect that? You know, it's a lot of questions. So if y'all can answer that for me, that would be amazing. Yeah. Okay. So all all of the studies have shown that the COVID vaccines have no impact at all on your reproductive health. So uh, from a man's perspective or from a woman's perspective, it doesn't do anything to your reproductive. Uh, organs in your body. So they've proven that in all of the studies all over the world, not just here in the United States, but all over the world, they've done what they call peer review. And all over the world, they've all come up with the to the same conclusion, it absolutely does nothing to your reproductive health. Now, I'm going to add this on the flip side of this. They have discovered, though, that men that get COVID, the virus itself, they are six times more likely to have what they call erectile dysfunction or uh, possible infertility from having COVID, the virus itself. Not the vaccine, but if you get sick with COVID, you're more likely to have problems because of COVID, the virus, as opposed to the vaccine. And um, I would also like to add that, uh, as like Dr. Jacob said, there's literally no evidence at this point that there is uh, any relation to the reproductive health. 
just to give you guys an idea, like this vaccine, it's um, so it's an mRNA, right? Uh, like we explained in the front. So think of uh, think of a wheel, right? A wheel at, of the car. So it has three parts. It has a rim, it has a middle part, and then it has a tire part. Until and unless all three parts are together, it's not going to work as a wheel or a tire, right? So that is what the part of mRNA that we are putting in the bodies to produce the antibodies is one of those three parts. It's a, so it's not going to work like a disease or something that can reproduce or DNA or replicate, anything like that, as far as the science goes at this point and as far as we know. So it doesn't look like officially that there will be any effect. You could get, either you could get COVID because of it, you could get sick because of it, or so far if you, any reproduction. Okay, thank you so, so much for that. So, um, as, as a person who works in American healthcare, why do you think that people are reluctant to receive the vaccine? Um, and I'm going to, Dr. Teresa, if you can, ask, if you can answer that for, first for me, that would be good. Well, the number one reason patients come in to tell me that they don't want it is because they think it was developed too fast. They think that, oh, my goodness, you know, uh, it was just made in a few months. There's no way that this could be a good vaccine. When we, in reality, these messenger RNA uh, vaccines, uh, they've been in the making for over 30 years. They've been working on this platform for over 30 years. So it's not like they just started working on this in 2019. They've actually been working on this for over 30 years. And by now, um, uh, we, especially here in the United States, we're pretty good at making vaccines. Uh, they've got H1N1, Ebola. Those were made rather quickly. And it's interesting that no one said anything about those vaccines when they came out. Uh, in this political climate, unfortunately, they made this a political issue, and it really shouldn't be. Uh, but the number one reason folks uh, are hesitant uh, when they come through our offices is because they think it was made too quickly. And when we explain to them that it absolutely was not because they've been working on this for so long, uh, they've gotten really good at making vaccines now. And so that really shouldn't be an issue. Once we explain that to, to them, the vast majority of them will go ahead and get the vaccine. I, I agree with that statement because I think a lot of people were looking at the outside exterior. Um, this is the first global pandemic that a lot of people have experienced in a very long time. So I see your point of view. I see their point of view, but it'll be great. If they understood what you just told me. Dr. Sadia, what is your take um, as a person yeah. who works in healthcare? Why do you think people so, are reluctant? So, uh, yeah, that is one of the main reasons. Everyone thinks that it was made too quickly. And um, uh, I agree with all the things that Dr. Jacobs said. And I would just like to add on to it that this vex uh, that just to give people an idea, I know it's teenagers and um, hopefully they're they're a lot more smarter and, um, than me, but I just want to let them know. So this whole I, this whole vaccine, it's, it is, uh, the, this virus is part of the RSV virus, which happened a while ago in 2001-2002. And the scientific work has been done since that time for this specific family of viruses, right? So that is like 10 to 12 years. And the reason it just came all about so quickly was that usually what happens is when, the, when you make a vaccine, uh, first, the clinical preclinical work is done when it is tested in the animals, right? And then it goes into human, just a few human, and then it goes into the third stage, 
in which the pharmaceutical company then tests it on a lot of people, then FDA comes back, looks at it, then there is back and forth, there are changes, and then it goes into the marketing phase. We were in a global pandemic. So what they did is since a lot of preclinical stuff was already done, the animal testing, the experimentation was done for a long time, all of them came together, which was a really, really big deal, which was called Operation Warp Speed. So the, the government, the academia, all the uh, scientists, uh, all the big brains of our country, and uh, the pharmaceutical company, they all came together and a lot of stuff was being done in parallel instead of being done on uh, like one after the other. All, and the other point is in order to make sure we didn't just get this number out of nowhere, that we, this vaccine was tested on way more people than any other. We, each vaccine was tested on at least 30,000 people in the, uh, before it got to the public. And, no, and that was done because we knew there was not that much time. So that's why it was done at the same time at so many people to make sure that it is safe and effective. And I can they, go on and on about it, but I won't, but that is the main reason behind it. And Dea, can, can I add one more thing to that? Of course, of course. I'd like to just add, because someone told me this analogy, if you wanted to get your this beautiful house made out in Buckhead, and they when the builders came, they told you it's going to take you about nine months for them to do it from start to finish. Uh, but in this particular case, they had a, a, a group come from Michigan to help build this house. They had another group from California to help build this house, another group from Florida to build this house. And then all of the groups from Georgia all got together to build this house. They worked day and night to build this house. And so this house was built within 30 days because they had the money, they had the manpower uh, to do it. And so because it was made in 30 days, does that mean it's not a, a, a well-built house uh, because it didn't take nine months? Not when you have the manpower, when you have the money, when you have all of the resources, all at your fingertips, you can get a job done in less than that nine month period. So they did it in under 30 days to build that house. So this is the same thing. They had the money, the wherewithal, the resources, the volunteers, so the government, the federal government was behind them. And so they were able to do this and, uh, and to do it well uh, in a record amount of time. Thank you so much for that insight. Um, that's a beautiful analogy as well. Um, you know, in our last podcast, we kind of talked about the impact of COVID-19 with specifically minorities. So in your, in y'all opinion, um, how has the COVID-19 impacted minorities? And then I have a follow-up. Well, I can just tell you from personal experience, uh, I've lost uh, two aunts uh, that I love dearly uh, to COVID. My brother and his wife were hospitalized at the same time because of COVID. I've had a number of other family members that are still suffering from what they call long hauler syndrome uh, from COVID. And so has it affected my community? Absolutely. It's affected my church community. It's affected my neighborhood. It's affected my family. Uh, because of all of the unequal things that are happening in healthcare today called disparities that we won't go into, but has it affected minorities 
uh, uh, in a lopsided type of way, it absolutely has. And that's why it's crucial that we make sure we get this message out uh, to our teenagers, to our parents and to our grandparents that everyone in our community need to get vaccinated because unfortunately we are affected in a disproportional way. And more of us are dying unfortunately because of all the other disparities that are going on in our communities. And I totally 100% agree with what Dr. Jacobs said. Yes, minorities have been affected way more in a disproportionate manner due to all it, not only just due to already existing health disparities in this country and the state, but also because of the way COVID has affected different people and how they have reacted to it and how uh, the previous bad experimentations and previous bad experiences with the clinical trials and research have made people more hesitant to take vaccine. And so much misinformation on every platform that people just go to, that just makes it harder uh, for them to know who to trust. So yes, definitely it has, unfortunately. Hmm. And so, so based off of that, have, have these impacts um, changed over the course of time from the beginning of the pandemic to now? Yes, we have been, that's what Mohawk School of Medicine um, has been working in conjunction with a lot of community board organizations. We have our program, Georgia SEAL, which is part of the U.S. SEAL uh, organization, Community Engagement Alliance. Um, and they, they we work uh, specifically to address these disparities and to make sure that we are getting to the people in the communities, in the minorities and both uh, African-American and uh, Hispanic communities to make sure that people understand what's going on to address their specific vaccine hesitancy questions, to do surveys to see why they are not taking vaccines and why, why what are their hesitancies and to address them. And most of them are the things like you have already asked us, the myths about reproductive health, the myths about, oh, why, why was it, how was it done so quickly? Or, or, or this is a propaganda from government. And just that political climate, like Dr. Jacobs keep mentioning, it is it has just kind of fueled all that uh, disproportionate uh, distance. But I feel like in the past few months that we have had a lot more uh, African-American population get vaccinated, especially the young adults, uh, the colleges, before, because we actually had a study which was looking at the transmission of the virus in the college age students. Uh, and as we looked at that, we were also looking to see how much misinformation was there and slowly addressing it um, and going to the root causes has helped. We definitely not at, are at the stage at which we will feel confident, the 80% vaccination rate, but we are definitely trying to get there. And we need everyone's help in that. Yeah, we're going to the barbershops, we're going to the uh, churches, uh, I, we're doing talks uh, in um, uh, family gatherings. We've had some reunions, family reunions that we that uh, uh, several of us have done talks to answer questions uh, to help dispel those myths that's out there. And so it's it's you know one one person at a time. But we're doing these town hall meetings with high school students, uh, college students, and we're slowly turning the tide and getting the word out. First and foremost, I just want to say thank you for to all of to both of you for, you know, making sure that this work is being done. I think a lot of people just see the surface, but 
y'all are the backbones of what is happening um, in this state, in this city. And we want to say thank you for that. Um, and yeah, um, you have taught me a lot. I hope our audience has learned so many things from you guys. Um, I am truly amazed um, to hear what you have said um, in this podcast. And I'm so, so great that we had this conversation. Um, but if you have any last words, anything you want to say to the audience, um, go ahead and say that um, if you would like to. I'd like to end, um, like I end all of my talks when it comes to COVID. I have a sister who has stage four cancer. And uh, I tell everybody, I love her enough to want her to stay here for another birthday, for another holiday. So I got vaccinated because I love her enough. And so I'm asking you, all of your listeners, who do you love enough to want to stay here to where you don't want them to get this horrible virus because you brought it to them? Who do you love enough to where you're willing to get vaccinated, not thinking about yourself, but that person that you love? Very well said. And that is the whole point, right? That we are, we have to rise above ourselves. It is not you, it is not that you're just protecting yourself. Vaccine is not just not for you. It's actually for everyone around you. And um, like we said that we made the vaccine, vaccine was done quickly. We made it so that we can save people. But unfortunately, vaccines do not save lives. It's actually vaccination that does. So until and unless you don't get vaccinated, it's not going to help you. So please go ahead and get vaccinated. That is beautifully put, everyone. Um, so there you have it, you guys. Um, thank you so much, Dr. Teresa and Dr. Sadia, for being here with us today. Um, I'm so, so excited to see what else y'all do for us. And, and I hear y'all are doing a lot. Y'all are doing a lot. And so, yeah, thank you so much for being here today, guys. Thank you. Thank, thank you for, for having us. us. Thank you.